My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential with Jeff Lerner. So excited to be back with you, getting to have incredible conversations with incredible humans. Today, we are joined by an incredible human, Dov Barron. Dov is one of the most widely renowned leadership and business speakers in the world. Uh, he's spoken in front of the United Nations. He's spoken in front of the World Management Forum, the Servant Leadership Institute. He's been named at all kinds of lists, including uh, Inc. Magazine's Top 100 Leadership Speakers. He also hosts two podcasts, which I can't wait to hear how and why he does two. I struggle enough with just one. Um, but in particular, the Leadership and Loyalty podcast is Apple Podcasts' number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives. Uh, very, very cool. And it was rated by Inc. Magazine as the number one podcast to make you a better leader. He's also a best-selling author. Uh, one Red Thread and Fiercely Loyal are two of his books. And on and on, we could be here all day just touting his credentials. But uh, <laughs> instead, we're going to get into it. Dove, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure and honor. I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you. That, that's such a resume. And, and yet you, you know, to appearances, you look to be, you know, not a day over, I don't know, maybe 40 something. I, I, how'd you cram all that in? Um, well, thank you for that. And you just earned that, uh, you just earned that gift certificate coming oh, at Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little older than 40 something, but that's, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, I am, you know, the, the theme of everything I do is I, I sign off with stay curious, my friends, stay curious. And the reason I've been able to do everything I've done is because I've been ferociously curious about things my entire life. So it, I have no problem with it pulling me in different directions because I'm always looking for what is the common thread. Um, what is the common thread? Okay, so you have a book called One Red Thread. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe we can start right there. Tell me sure. uh, what's the red thread and why is it red and what's it about? Yeah, what's it all about? <laughs> well, the analogy I give at the front of the book is this one: is imagine yourself walking into a gallery, some kind of artistic gallery. You walk in that gallery, and on the wall you see this magnificent, beautiful, intricate tapestry. And, and it's, you know, you're not even, you know, you like tapestries, but you're pulled to it for some reason. And you get over there and you look at it and you notice how beautiful it is and complex, yet it looks very simple. And at the bottom, you read, a, you know, one of those little things that tells you what the piece of art is. And it says mm -hmm. it's called One Red Thread. And it says it represents your life. And that there is a single red thread that runs through this tapestry that if you pulled it, the whole thing would fall apart. And so that is what is in your life. There is a thread, a red thread, we call it, that runs through your life that is the common theme of everything in your life. And it is what you might call your purpose. It is what drives you at a deepest possible level. And it's there in everything. You'll find it in your primary relationship. You'll find it in your business relationships. You'll find it in what drives you. And so catching that thread and finding out what it is gives you access access to your emotional source code. And your emotional source code is what fires you. It's, it's not passion. It's what fires you beyond passion. Because we've all had passions. I mean, you and I were passionate about something when we were 15. 
It's probably right. not the same thing today. If it was, you and I might both be working as uh, co-managers at Victoria's Secret. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not politically correct, but it's still true. So we're not motivated by the yeah. same things. It, we're still not passionate about the same things we were in our teens or our 20s, and it changes. So passion is a vehicle, and that vehicle transports the purpose that is your one red thread. Interesting. Well, this red thread idea, I love it. And you actually just really, really validated something that we do uh, in my business that we did. We came to very unscientifically, and, and I know how much science and research is behind everything that you teach and yeah. that you do. So I feel, I suddenly feel sort of like scientifically validated. You know, when people join our mastermind group uh, in Entra Institute, my company, um, the mastermind group is kind of like the, I'd say it's the most elite level program we have in the group. It's, mm -hmm. we might have 50 or 60 people and, and I, I work directly with them and such. But the thing that everybody does when they start, um, and this is, this is a coach actually had me do this once upon a time. And it was one of the most valuable things I ever did. That's why I have everybody else do it is we make a list of every experience that we can remember happening to us in our lives that left or that made what I call an emotional impact. In other words, mm -hmm. you can, you don't just remember the circumstances or the details of what happened, but you also remember the feelings of what mm -hmm. happened and anything from your life where you can remember how you felt while it was happening. Those are the things that probably really imprinted and shaped you and became who you are. And what we have everybody do is make a list of those experiences going all the way back to early childhood. And then they start telling those stories into a camera. Now, Ideally, at some point, they'll get confident enough to actually share and publish those stories. But the experience of telling all the little anecdotal stories of your life and trying to get to the source of the feelings that underlie them, this is what we teach and what my experience has been. And, it, and it's worked 100% of the time where you tell enough of these stories and, and we even use the term, you start to find the common thread. Exactly. And eventually you realize they're all facets of the same basic story. And Absolutely. that becomes the story in which you can find the purpose. And, and for us as an entrepreneurial uh, institution or incubator, what we're trying to do is help people identify ways that they can channel that purpose into businesses that they build. But whether they do that or not, uh, it sounds like we're, we've basically just been coaching people on how to find their red thread. Yeah, in many ways, that is exactly what it is. And that's a really good uh, example of it. We talk about it as HEIs high emotional impact and a high emotional impact emotion is an emotional event. And when that emotional and, and understanding that a HEI is not necessarily a big event. So this is where people get stuck. They go, well, you know, my father didn't beat me. My mother didn't starve me. Um, you know, I lived a nice middle-class life, blah, 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 nothing, you know, I wasn't raped or murder. Uh, there was no murder in my life. So, you know, why is this, why, why am I doing this? Because, and the analogy I give is this. So I want you to imagine that there is two people side by side, both showing the effects of trauma. But one of them, you know, it's pretty evident. This person went through a very traumatic experience, let's say in their childhood. Okay. And the other person doesn't seem to have that. And they go, so why are they showing trauma is my question. And they go, I don't know. Well, let me ask you, if I hit you upside the head with a baseball bat, is that trauma? And they go, yeah. Okay. If I, on the other hand, tie you to something and just drip water onto your forehead, 
every day on the hour, just one drip for 10 years. Is that a trauma? Yes, it is. But you don't see it as a trauma because it's just a drop of water. And so it's what had the emotional impact that counts, not the event. So we look at things and we tend to go, well, you know, these poor people in this world or the, my friend had that happen. I didn't have that. And so we invalidate the things that have had emotional impact on us. And it can be the other way, too. Mm -hmm. It can be like everybody had a big cheering squad for me and I won the championship. And that's great. You know, big event. But on the other hand, that every day you came home and your dad said to you, how did you fail today? Wow, that's great. I'm really glad you tried. And every day at dinner, your mom or your dad or your brother or somebody said that to you. And you've not written it. You've not written it up as a big event because it's not a big event, but it's that drip, drip, drip in a positive sense. So it's not negative or positive. It's mm -hmm. what had the high emotional impact because that's created the emotional imprint that has given you your the beginnings of understanding your emotional source code. It's, it's so fascinating. I, I love that we're talking about, um, you know, childhood trauma and, and imprinting and, and, you know, neurological formation. This is, mm -hmm. you know, for me and my work of, of coaching and developing entrepreneurs, I, I actually feel like this is 90% of my work. 90% of my mm -hmm. work is helping people decode themselves Yes. And even it's even why the name of this show is unlock your potential so that they can unlock the, the casings that are on top of their potential, holding mm -hmm. them back through, through these types of analyses. So I love that we're talking about this. Um, I'm curious as an aside, and, and I know the liber, I know the liberation that comes with actually getting clear on what you're, what you're calling your red thread is. I know mine, I know what my whole life has been about. I'm and I'll, I'm happy to share, but I'd like to start. Can you tell us yours? What's your red thread? Yeah. So when I look at my own, um, I'm going to give people a way for them to find it. Is that okay? Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Right. So I'm going to give you a way for people to have it and then I'll describe mine. Right. So I want you to, well, first of all, Jeff, have you ever been to a funeral? Yes. Right. So if you've been to a funeral, you know that the person, what happens when the person gives a eulogy? Do they ever say bad things about that person? Uh, generally, no. That person, the, right. the person with bad things to say is not usually invited to give the eulogy. So. No, of course not. So the person giving the eulogy, their job is to, is, is to uh, canonize the dead. So turn them into St. Fred, St. Susan, Saint, you know. Right. It doesn't matter whether they were a piece of dirt or not. You know, it's just that's how it is. And so I remember an example of that being invited to a friend's dad's funeral. I knew this guy and I knew, I knew obviously I knew my friend and I knew what kind of a dad he's been to my friend. And he'd been an ass like that would be a very nice way of putting it. Mm -hmm. He was a mean, mean man. And my friend said, would you come to the funeral? I'm like, nope. And he goes, why? I said, why would I come and honor somebody who was just like it was mean and cruel and abusive to you and your siblings and your mother. And he goes, I just would like you to come to support me. And I go, okay, I can do that, but mm -hmm. I won't come. I'm not sitting at the front. I'll sit at the back. If you're going to sit at the front, I'll sit at the back. He goes, no, I want to sit at the back with you. I was like, okay, cool. So we go to the funeral and if somebody gets up to do the eulogy. Now, remember this guy who died is, you know, in, in a category of 10 being a complete asshole. He must be a 9.5, right? And this guy gets up and tells a story that nobody knew, including his son. 
my friend. And he tells a story about how in 1972 or something, I don't know the date, but it was like years and years and years ago, that this man had paid the neighbor's rent when the neighbor had no money and had never asked for that money back. And of course, he becomes saint. Right. right? Now, while all that's going on, my friend Victor and I are sitting in the back and Victor begins to whisper to me about how he didn't know that and how the other stories about him. So when you want to go looking for your own red thread, you want to do it in two ways. One, you want to write the eulogy you would like to hear. It's beautiful. It's magnificent, right? So at the front of the room, what would they say? So in my case, they would say, Dove was deeply curious because that's foremost for me. Dove was deeply curious. He was driven to serve others in finding what it is that drives them at a deeply emotional level. And he was always deeply, deeply courageous about that in serving the world. It's, it's, there's more to it than that, but that's the crux of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what's at the front of the room. Now you think about, okay, what do you want at the front of the room? So curious and courageous in service. You know, right. those are the three bullet points of mine, right? In service, curious, courageous. So what would they whisper at the back of the room? That's what you want to ask yourself. What would they whisper at the back of the room? So I had to go, okay, what would they whisper at the back of the room? Well, if it's curious, courageous, and in service, it would be selfish, because that's the opposite of service. It would be uh, courageous, be chicken, and curious would be closed-minded. Well, so then I go, okay, well, have I ever been closed-minded? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, right? So, I've, you know, there are times when I've not been curious. Have I been, have I been, always been courageous or was I a chicken? Well, mostly courageous. Okay. In service? Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, in my early 20s, I was pretty selfish, like most of us, right? So I go, okay, so what's the whisper at the back of the room? So Dove was a selfish chicken um, who was stuck in his own head hmm. right so i start thinking this and, and and my mind goes nah that's you know that may have been who you were but that's not true that's my ego protecting me by the way your ego will protect you as you do this exercise don't go there so i go okay let's just try that out so i write it out and i say it out loud and and my mind kicks in that's nonsense that's rubbish that's nonsense that's rubbish so i go okay how can i get this to land so i add an expletive to it Dove was an effing coward. Ooh, that lands better. That lands, that, that suddenly that is a punch to the gut. Not, you know, I can take that. That's fine. Some people might say that. Then I put the words in the, into the mouths of my grandchildren. So I imagine my grandchildren sitting in the back of the, back of the mm -hmm. assembly room. And they're saying, G-Dad, that's my name for granddad. Uh, G-Dad was a fucking coward. Whoa, that hits. So now I have a driver that is pulling me forward. Dove is a courageous, curious man of service. And I have a fire on my ass, which is G-Dad, the effing coward. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I've got it. 
now I've got these two themes that are pulling at me because human beings are driven by two forces, the force towards and the force away from. And we need to know that uh, in ourselves. So when I look at myself, I have to go, okay, what is it? What is it? I'm here to serve. And I, and every time I want to be a coward about that, or every time I want to be closed minded, I'm always pulled to that. I look at, well, what's that thread? Is that thread is deep curiosity, deep courage, and deeply in service. Why? Now, here's when you get to your own red thread. What is there in my life that spurred that? My father was a coward. My father was an emotional coward. He was in, my father was a narcissist. He was a narcissist, right? Um, and he was fixed minded. So I know my thread is about healing that, not in my father, but in myself. My one red thread is about healing that part of myself that was not validated, giving myself the thing that I needed, but therefore being able to give it to the world. So to put it in context for everybody, here's what I want you to understand. You are here to give the world the very thing you needed, but couldn't get or couldn't get enough of. Let me repeat it. You are here to give the world, to serve the world by giving them the thing you needed or that you couldn't get or you couldn't get enough of. The form may change. It might morph and look different, but you are still here to serve that. So quick example, very good friend of mine, one of the top branding people in the world. He said, you know, I, I really don't believe all this stuff. I don't think that this is how it works. So, That's okay. You don't have to. I'm not here to convince you. I said, let me ask you a question in a minute. And he goes, what? I said, what do you do for a living? He goes, branding. I go, yeah, but everybody's a brander. You're not. And he goes, well, really, you know, it's about, uh, you know, in this noisy world where everybody's screaming for attention, it's going, making sure that people are, the people I serve are really seen and heard and stand out. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, tell me about your childhood again. So he tells me about his childhood. I said, so what was it like? He goes, well, you know, I'm a mixed race kid. So I didn't really fit in with the black kids. I didn't really fit in with the white kids. And I kind of felt like I didn't fit in at all. And, and I was kind of invisible. I said, oh, what do you do for a living again? And he goes, you asshole. <laughs> right? Because it morphed. It changed. It became an adult version. It became a brandable version. It became a business version. Mm -hmm. So you're serving the world with the very thing you need. When you look at that, then you go, okay, I have to be on purpose. I have to be. There's no other option. That's what I got to do. And it's, it transforms businesses. When I do this with large Fortune 500 organizations or I do it with professional athletes or business leaders or political leaders, it's mind-blowing. They go, oh, my God, because the answer is always, of course. And if you don't get to, of course, you're not there. Yeah. It's not like there's no argument. It's like, of course. Why didn't I see that? Because you can't. Why? You're a fish swimming in water. Fish can't describe water. You can't describe the shit you're swimming around in. That's not possible. Okay. Right. That's what I do. Yeah, it's it's so um it's so powerful. And and again, as you're saying that, I'm I was I'm running my 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 sense of having figured this out, like I've done a lot of work, I feel like I know it. And I'm running it through your your thought experiment with the funeral. And I, I think it holds I think it holds. 
Ooh, um, good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, 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 and and I've, and it's interesting because everything, and I mean, this is from my own experience. And again, I have a mastermind of you know fifty or sixty people that we we, we talk about what it's like when you start to live in alignment with this one thing, and it affects my schedule. It affects how I am with my family. It's it's the, totally the reason I am in the business that I am. It's and I think it's frankly the reason that Entra's done as well as it's done because there's a power in starting a business that's a natural outgrowth of who you are as a person and, and the life that you're almost engineered to live because then work never feels like work. And it's, and, and the, the very difficult challenge of growing a business isn't that difficult because it's just, it's just, a, it's self-expression in the form of a business, basically. Well, you know, one of the things that I truly believe, um, you know, I was an artist as a kid. That was what I was first and foremost. My art was okay. in galleries by the time I was 11. Um, and what I'm absolutely certain of is that human beings are destined to be creative. Now, a lot of people watching this will go, oh, I'm not, I, you know, I can't even draw matchstick man. It doesn't mean that you're not creative. It just means that you don't use that form. And as you just said, Jeff, our lives are the canvas we paint. And so sometimes people are just running around trying to paint everybody else's picture. Everybody, they're trying to copy the yeah. other guys as opposed to saying, what's my original creation? And your original creation can be and should, I believe if you're in business, should be expressed in your business. So you're absolutely right. It's a creative force that shows you, wow, you know, this is, this is how I get to show my soul to the world. And that's not a religious thing. That's just like yeah. that deep authenticity so i get to show this to the world and and it makes such a huge difference it's so powerful man that's that is so i swear i feel it's almost like we rehearsed this because <laughs> yeah. you're saying so much stuff that's just so aligned with with processes and things that we do um when we teach it, we 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 kind of chunk life into three general categories of physical personal and professional and in the professional category inside of our, uh, our framework at Entra, we, we basically grade what we call professional excellence or professional fulfillment. How rich is your professional life? We grade it by three, three channels, uh, one, only one of which is money, mm -hmm. and the second of which is authority or influence, and the mm -hmm. third of which is, to your point, creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's actually a grade, like a scale or, or a metric for your professional life. And my premise for that is that, you know, if, if we're energy, I mean, I, I'm sure you're on, on board with me, like we're all just energy, right? Oh, and we're yes. just energy interacting with other energy. The world is energy. We're energy. We're just fields of energy bumping into each other. You know, essentially everything in life is an energetic reaction of, of different forms of energy you know, colliding or interacting with each other. And in any chemical or energetic experiment, if you introduce a unique variable, you create a unique outcome, mm -hmm. right? There's no way that the outcome cannot be impacted by the injection of, an, of a unique variable into the experiment. And so if I am energy and the world is energy and my professional life involves energy interacting with energy, and I believe that I am a unique energy, that I have a unique energy signature, just like I have a, a, a physical fingerprint, I have an energetic fingerprint, then there is no way that my energetic interaction with the energy of the world cannot create a unique outcome because I'm a unique energy signature. 
And so in everything we do, we should be asking ourselves, what is the unique energetic outcome that I'm producing in this world? And, and ultimately, when you start thinking of business in those terms, or even your job in those terms, um, it reframes everything. And what I love now is what you're highlighting for me is how do we link that back to where that unique energetic signature connects back to our red thread? Absolutely. And let's, let's just put a pause in it for a minute because I want everybody to understand when we're talking about everybody and everything is energy, this is not woo woo stuff. You might go, oh, you know, it's a new age. Yeah, it's just it's it physics, literally. No, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's physics and it's quantum physics. Yeah. So there is, <clears throat> there was a lot of stuff around the secret, which pissed me off enormously when it came out, because it was a superficial understanding. And some of my friends are in that movie and, mm -hmm. and they, they, they had called me and said, you know, you should have been in the movie. Right. And I was like, no, thank I, you. I had John Asaroff on the show like a week yeah. ago, or two weeks well, ago. Yeah. Well, John's a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. I, right? I figured he might be one you were, you yeah. were referencing. Yeah. John's a friend of mine. And, and he, and I wrote a book afterwards and it was called the law beyond the law of attraction. Right. And it talks about resonance and what resonance is frequency modulation. So resonance in music resonance is if you have a tuning fork here, then it's an E. And you have another tuning fork here that's an A and you bang the E, nothing happens to the A. But if you have a tuning fork here that's an E and you bang the E and it's another one in your hand that's an E and you don't touch this one, this one starts to vibrate. That's right. resonance. It's a frequency modulation resonance. The reason we're having this conversation is a frequency modulation of resonance. The reason you've gone, oh my God, I feel like we've, had the, we've set up this conversation is resonance. And so through that resonance, there is a pull towards something. Now, <clears throat> if you set your own resonance, if you become aligned with yourself, rather than trying to mimic everybody else, which is what most people are doing uh, via Instagram or Facebook or whatever the heck it is, and say, oh, I need to be more like Charlie. No, no. What if you just came to you? What if you found your red thread and said, okay, I'm going to put that out into the world, and that's going to be my resonance. Here's something that really fascinating that happens. Competition goes away. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. People go, what do you mean? Many of my dearest friends are my quote competitors. We don't see each other as competitors. We see each other as collaborators. We have these amazing conversations. They're in my private mastermind group. They cut, you know, there's four, five, six of us at a time, you know, and they're like, oh my God, you know, because we're in resonance with each other. There's no competition because we're looking at the world through a place of service. So if I want to serve, how can you who do some of the things that I do, some overlap, how can you add to my audience? How can I add to your audience? How can my resonance align with some things in yours? Because listen, there are things that you won't, some people are watching this going, I don't like that Dove Baron guy. Great. Okay. That's fine. Right. And there's some people who are going to go, I really like Jeff. And then Jeff's on my show and they go, yeah, I don't really like the Jeff guy, but I like Dove. That's fine. It's all okay. It's great. What matters is what's aligning you. You, I don't, you don't have to like everybody. Everybody doesn't like you, but you have to find out what's in, in resonance with you. And when you find out what's in resonance with you, one of two things will happen. You got to understand this. You will be compelled and magnetized towards that person, or you will be compelled and pushed away because that's how a magnet works. Mm -hmm. It pushes on one side and it pulls on the other. 
it doesn't mean there's a there's no matching resonance. It may mean there's a very strong matching resonance, but you're not looking at that part. You don't want to. I'm not metal. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, you are. No, no, I'm not. I'm plastic. No, you're not. And so you're resisting that pull. But if you flip that around and you own it, suddenly it's like, boom, you're catapulted into your success because you've given up on this whole idea of being competitive with others. What a nonsensical idea. There's no competition because, as you said, there's a unique frequency modulation or a unique resonance field, resonance frequency that is yours and no one else's. People, I, I, I was sitting in John Asaraf's house, him and I having a chat, and my wife was in the living room with his son, Noel, and a show comes on TV and we can hear it in the background. And I'm like, we're not in that room, but we can hear it. And I'm like, what is that? So I get up and I go in the other room and I hear this guy on TV who is now in jail, by the way. Um, I hear this guy on TV doing an infomercial. It's my stuff. He nicked every, bought back in the day, bought my CD set, rewrote the copy and did it in an infomercial. Only he said, he, instead of learning the way I learned by traveling the world and studying with all these great teachers, he went to this Swiss place, uh, you know, this secret chalet and in the mountains with all these people. And that's like, just made shit up. Right. right. And, and that's what he learned. And then he started sharing my material and he was selling this program. And, and John looks at me and he goes, are you going to sue him? And I go, nope. And he goes, why? And I said, a couple of reasons. One, I can't afford a lawyer in the United States to drag through the court system. That's crazy. And two, I can't afford the energy waste because that's what it would be. And three, there is no competition. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, this guy can say everything I can say. He's never going to be me. So, you know, it won't take long for people to realize that. He goes, yeah, but he might make a million dollars before that. And I go, does it matter? No. Kevin's in, Kevin is now in jail. Okay. I was, I literally was going to ask you, was his name Kevin? <laughs> yes, it was Kevin. Oh, yeah. It was Kevin. That's all I'll say. The rest yeah, people yeah. can work out, right? It's fine. Right? It's fine. So um, that's what I mean about no competition. It just, be, you've become more at peace while still being completely on fire and driven. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut, which shows you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. And there's a special link just for this episode in the description. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've experienced that, and I have a question about it. Um, and I know that, obviously, you do a lot of work with larger organizations. You speak to... Uh, you know, your podcast for basically targets fortune 500 executives. I mean, you're talking yep. to people that uh, ha have the same perhaps challenge or at least interest that I have, which is creating resonance through organizations where, where you have all the tuning forks vibrating in the same, in the same pitch. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, incidentally, as you were talking about, Hey, I don't like so-and-so I, I had a thought, which is how much better would the world be if we could all, you know, teach ourselves to be more precise in our language and say, I don't, instead of, I don't like him, I don't, I just don't resonate with him, sure. you know, um, or the way I resonate with him terrifies me even, you know, sometimes, right? Like, oh, I don't want to go that direction because, you know, some, yeah. even though I'm drawing, but just if we, you know, I love thinking in terms of energy and vibration, because I think it, 
it gives us a much more precise language for understanding our experience of the world. Um, that's, 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 although I, I believe deeply in the truth of emotions, I think there's a danger in suffusing emotion with language and using that as our way of processing the world. I think energy is a little cleaner, if that makes sense. Uh, that does make sense. Um, but to, if I may push back a little bit. You may. Oh, push. Okay. Push, so I'm not overstating things when I say that my entire life's work has been driven by a single question. Why do people do what they do when what they do actually doesn't make sense to them? Right. And over the years of studying, what I've discovered is that our lives are run by our own private subjective anatomy of meaning that gives us emotional logic. That is, our mind is filled with our stories, our experiences, our myths, and, and they become the filter of our reality. Anything new that we experience has to pass through those filters. That's what I call the anatomy of meaning. It's the emotional source code. So whether we realize it or not, we all have a sort, that source code. It is our filter. It's a code that allows us to reason in a way that makes perfect sense to us, even though it may not make sense to others. So it's two plus two equals a giraffe. And it's absolutely rational to the person who believes that. That code guarantees that despite what we may tell ourselves and even others, the foundation of every decision is first and foremost emotional. Yeah. So we like to think of ourselves as very rational beings, but that's not what we are. We are emotional beings. So by acknowledging that, we can then question, what's the filter? We can then question, oh, it's interesting that I had such a reaction to that, positive or negative. That's interesting. What is that? So it puts the onus back on me. It allows me to say, well, you know, it's really fascinating that this person really pissed me off. What's that in me? That's coming through my filters. What is that? And we can go the other way, as you know, from my, my experience speaking at the UN, you know, about what happened, why that happened is, is, is about confronting my own emotional source code. So yeah, you know, we all like to think we're rational and we like to talk about not being emotionally uh, coming from the decisions. We're all doing that. It's not that like, just take that as a foregone conclusion. Then you can question it rather than, arguing against so I'm not being emotional. Yeah, yeah. You've built a yeah, two yeah. plus two equals a giraffe reasoning, and that's okay. Now examine that. What's that based on? Now I can go to rationale. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm what I was trying to say is is I really seek to sanitize the language that I use to describe the underlying emotionality of, of whatever it is I'm trying to process through. Cause it's, to me, it's hard to solve emotional questions with emotionally charged language, if that makes sense. And, and I, I fully agree with you and, and I'm not actually pushing back against what you said I'm pushing back about against the potential interpretation gotcha. because the mind wants to go to, Oh, well, he means us for us to be rational. No, he doesn't. That's not <laughs> yeah. what Jeff is saying. Fair enough. What Jeff yeah. is saying is examine what the emotion is. So you mentioned your speech at the UN um, and, and ultimately, you know, in the allotment of time that we have, I would love to get to organizational resonance like I started to go to and hopefully we'll have time to circle back to that. But since you mentioned your speech at the UN, I wonder if we could camp there for a second. Um, I know that you were, as I understand it, you were invited to speak there 
in regards to, you know, violent extremism and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the crazy stuff that happens in certain places in the world that we like to think are really far away. Um, <laughs> like you, on the East coast of America, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Right. It would be much <laughs> really far away. <laughs> if they're, you know, like we think they are, but, um, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I, I assume that all this stuff you're talking about, the red thread and the emotional source code and the mm-hmm. anatomy, well, what'd you call it? Anatomy, anatomy of, of meaning of meaning that links into why people and even subsets of population veer off course into violence and, and hatred. Can you, can you connect all that for us? Absolutely. So the best way to connect it for you is to tell you about who I was there with and why we were there. So <clears throat> I was invited to speak at the UN um, with uh, Tony McAleer, um, uh, Tony and, uh, Tony and I were invited onto panels and we were also part of a de-radicalization workshop there for trying to understand how to de-radicalize. This was 2015 and we had done a presentation the day before talking about how Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump did not understand the level of right-wing radicalism that was about to break forth in America. Right. So that's six years ago. Um, But we so we were there and to sort of skip forward in time, we were on this panel and the person running the panel was a Muslim lady who worked for CNN. And she said, Dove, you worked with Tony. And I said, yes. And she said, tell us that story. And I said, "Okay." And I said, uh, well, Tony came in, was, he was gifted an hour with me by a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. And I said the first 15 minutes was whatever it was. And then finally I looked at Tony and said, listen, an hour with me is not cheap. You didn't have to pay for it. Damien did. So let's not waste time. Why are you really here? So Tony looks down at the carpet and he's swallowing golf balls like the answer is in the, in the check pile. And he's not going to find it there. <laughs> And I said, Tony, what is it? It's okay, whatever it is. And at which point, Tony begins to tell me that he was the chief recruiter for war, white Aryan race, that he was a neo-Nazi. And telling me, you know, Holocaust denier and all these kinds of things. And I'm listening to him. And as I'm listening to him, I start to smile. And the smile gets bigger and it gets bigger. At which point, Tony's now very pissed off. because it took an enormous amount of courage for him to tell me that because as he told me later, anybody he told that to, he would lose as a friend or a business, you know, associate or whatever it is. And he said, you know, I don't blame them, but you know, and I, and I was just listening. So he's like, why are you, what, you know, what's so funny. And I just leaned in and I said, you do know I'm a Jew, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I was laughing and Tony goes, Oh, effing irony. And I said, yeah. So I'm telling the board, I'm telling this, this um, host uh, of the panel this. And she looks at me and she goes, how could you possibly help somebody who was willing to eradicate your people from the earth? And I said, well, you're seeing it. You saw a neo-Nazi. I did not. And he goes, what do you mean? She said, what do you mean? I said, I didn't see a neo-Nazi. I saw myself. And she said, you were a neo-Nazi? I said, no, of course not. She said, then I don't understand. I said, what I saw was a man who had been a young bloke who was highly intelligent, highly articulate, 
and emotionally deeply, deeply hungry for a place to belong. I said, I can remember being that in my 20s. I said, my early 20s, late teens. He went down a road that I could have gone down. So instead of seeing him as a neo-Nazi, I saw him as being taken into a group where he, got a ch where he got the opportunity to voice his intellect, to use his voice, to be held up in esteem for his intellect, and to be a place to belong and be satiated around that when he emotionally didn't have that. And so that need, that emotional source code need in him needed to be satisfied. Of course, it was satisfied. And she was like, wow. I, I, and I said, yeah, it's, we're all looking for something. And if you can just get your head around this, that anybody you like to look at and judge, remember this, every human being is in pain. Every one of us, me, you, every one of us, and everybody's trying to feel better about that pain. So we buy a Ferrari to feel better. We buy the wife a new set of boobies to feel better. We buy ourselves a Rolex or a, or, or, or a bespoke suit to feel better. We buy another house. We, we go to try and get the next million to, to feel better. We do a line of Coke. We smoke a joint. We have a couple of drinks. We're all trying to feel better. We volunteer at the church. Some of those addictions are socially acceptable and some of them are not. Some of us join radical groups, but we're all trying to feel better. And if you can look at it from that point of view, you can, you can enter into the space of deep compassion for whoever you're working with. That's it. Man, you, you reminded me of a book. I'm wondering if you've read it. It's called The Anatomy of Peace. And it's written by, it's, it's not published by a named author. It's published by an organization called the Arbinger Institute. Oh, yes, I know them. Um, anyway, it, it opens, it, it, it's built around a guy walking a, a couple, a couple couples, one of which is, is Arab and one of which is, is Jewish through, through a reconciliation process. Um, that's a big part of the book. Anyway, it's, it, it is fascinating and it, and it's anchored in a, a lot of, a lot of what you're saying, a lot of this, um, this commonality. So, so, so what, uh, what, what came, what, what came out of that? What, what did the UN do with that perspective that you know of? Um, what the actual UN did, I don't know, to be honest, we, we, we never got that. Um, what we got was, uh, as a result of it, we were invited into a de-radicalization workshop for a bunch of organizations that were trying to do that. And they wanted to know what was the common language used in de-radicalization. And there was another guy with us um, who was the chief recruiter for Al-Qaeda, who now works for the uh, George Washington University. Great guy. Love him to bits. Again, wonderful person. Just went on the wrong path. Right. Brought himself back. Um, and so they were asking. They're all coming up with all these things. And I said, listen. If you try and come up with a language for de-radicalization, you're dead in the water. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, and I look at Tony. I said, Tony, what was the de-radicalization language I used? And he goes, we, you didn't use any. I go, actually, I did, but you don't know what it was, do you? And he goes, no. I said, okay, I'm going to give you a clue. And he goes, okay. I said, blue parrot. And he starts to laugh. And he says, yeah, we talked for the first 15 minutes. We talked about Monty Python and the parrot sketch and all these mm -hmm. kinds of things. I said, the de-radicalization language is rapport. It's I'm not different than you. 
I'm not better than you. And a de-radicalization message is I'm better than you. You will never de-radicalize anybody by making yourself better than them. You have to, they have to see themselves in you and you have to see yourself in them, not as an exercise, but as a reality. Once you can get to that, was I an arrogant, uh, know-it-all, loud-mouthed, early 20s, looking-to-be-heard person? Yes. So was Tony. Yeah. So was Tony. That was genuine. I had to learn from that. I got my ass smacked several times in all kinds of situations that made me realize I needed more humility. I needed a deeper level of understanding. But that is, that's, that's what came out of it. And so... As a result, there was a, an organization called Life After Hope that Tony headed up. He now speaks around the world to Holocaust organizations. He spoke at a, a, the local shul here in Vancouver, which was actually the first place he ever did a radical move. And he and I, um, after Yom Kippur, after uh, the new year, we, we sat uh, in front of the entire audience and he shared what had happened and who he'd been and they were wonderful and they gave him forgiveness and he was terrified of doing that. Um, and it was about rapport. That's the language. And so when we're looking at running our organizations, when we look at looking at the resonance of an organization, we have to find our own red thread. And then we look at how does that resonate with who we actually want to serve? That is what happens. So I do that with the CEO. I do that with the executive team. And from there, we form not the purpose, because the purpose is really poorly understood, but we find the red thread. We find the why of their why that they can communicate to the audience with the audience of customers, the audience of employees that makes people deeply loyal. So I have a, I have a question in sort of a, a, a very self, self-interested question. Um, particular to my situation that I think is, you know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to take this to the organizational resonance matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, thank you for sharing that story. Um, Along with my red thread, you gave me some red eyes hearing about (laughs) picturing him speaking at the shul. Um, You know, I grew, I grew up Jewish myself, so Mm -hmm. uh, I can just kind of picture that moment and how powerful that must've been. Um, But so, so here's a question for you. You know, again, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Entra, my company, even this podcast, like most of what I do now is a manifestation of, frankly, me getting fairly clear on my red thread, or at least thinking I am and, and saying, okay, that's what I want to do in the world. And, and my, you know, my personal mission statement is basically demonstrating daily that we were created to pursue excellence and act with courage. And what I've realized is that for me, excellence and courage, those are building blocks toward the true purpose for me, which is to live free and inspire others to do the same. Excellence plus courage equals freedom. And freedom can become contagious. And that's it. That's why I do what I do. I, for, for some reason, as a small child, I decided the most important thing in the world was to be free, to be mm-hmm. self-expressed, self-determining. And uh, at some po- even as a musician, I decided to play jazz because you can, you can literally make it up and play what you want on the fly, right? Um, mm-hmm. but I figured out that the way that what it takes to be free is you have to be excellent. You have to, you have to operate at a standard. Most people won't, or you'll never get the opportunity to be free and you have to be, you have to be courageous. Right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like the math equation of my life. That's why I do what I do. That's why Entra was founded. 
Entra has grown initially, and, and it's it's interesting because I can see it in the trajectory or in the in the evolution of the business that when it started and it was founded about two and a half years ago, that was it, man. I mean, it was like everybody that was drawn into Entra was they were they were resonating with Jeff's energy and they were on the on point with that message and they were seeking that freedom in their own life. And it was a small organization and it was really tight and it was really easy to keep that frequency mm -hmm. and have that be the focus. Now we've grown. Um, I'm not that involved in the day-to-day -day operations. We have, we're approaching 150 people on, on staff. Mm -hmm. I don't even many, not many, some of whom I literally don't even know. There's mm -hmm. names that get referenced on meetings. And I'm like, I don't know who that is, but I'm, I'm glad to hear they work with us, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you keep, how do you take an organization for me at least that's, you know, you know, look, we're not, we're not Amazon. We don't have 900,000 employees, but we have close to 150 people. Yeah. It's not just me and a couple friends anymore. How do I keep an organization resonating in that energy that's that's really my personal energy it's my it's derivative of my personal story it's not their story it's my personal mission it's not their personal mission i'm trying to create all that alignment but it feels like it could it could get away from us and my concern Absolutely. is if it does and the energy of the company changes then then the people we're attracting changes the culture changes and it maybe isn't as successful as it was in its in its initial stages because it's not as pure, if that makes sense. Right. So, so what would you counsel someone like me? That's a, that's a very valid question. I'm often asked to come in on that question. Mm -hmm. um, because So the answer is that the core people have to be in total alliance and total resonance with whatever it is, right? So your, your people who directly, directly report to you uh, on fire with that. And the, the reason for that is because they've also done that work and it totally aligns for them. Right. And then every one of them has a group that they have to make sure is aligned with it as well. So it's a, it's a downflow constantly. Now the check, and this is what I always say, the check is this, go to the lowest person on the totem pole and ask them what it's about. Ask them what it's about without it being rhetoric, without it being them just vomiting back the, the stuff that's on the wall, but really what is it that drives us? What, so, you know, I'll ask, what is, the, what is it that drives this organization? What is the meaning of this organization? When I ask those questions, they go off book. Once they go off book, I know I'm going to yeah. get to the truth. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, that is, that is something like, you know, and I talk about the undercover boss, technique you know you've got to find some way to give people anonymity to tell the truth um and so you're absolutely right it can go off track very very fast and often does right and we we see that like the whole company's gone down to, down a crapper because you've lost the connection you've lost the resonance but the truth of the matter is you no longer you either no longer see this and I'm not talking about Jeff, but you as in the leader, mm -hmm. you no longer see this as the best vehicle for that. And, and what's happened is that vehicle has run its, run its length for you. And so you can, the best you can do is embed that into the organization and put it into the hands of others who, who can run with it 
and you need a new vehicle, right? So oftentimes entrepreneurs are seen as flaky. I don't see them that way. I see them as people who are purpose-driven but don't know it and keep jumping from vehicle to vehicle because they don't know what they don't know what it is they're trying to transport yet. Mm-hmm. I help them to find out what the purpose is, is which is what you're transporting. So it starts at what is it for me? And you just talked about what it is for you. And then you do a series of those same um, our process. You know, we go through the process for your one red thread. Um, we go through that process. We find out what it is for them. And then we go, okay, how does that connect? What is the deep emotional resonance that you have with your purpose to this? Now, by the way, in just to make it easy, there's a pretty good chance that everybody, certainly the upper level who is directly connected to Jeff is already in resonance or else they wouldn't be there. Right. And the moment they're not in resonance, they will reveal that even if they're not trying to, they will reveal that. And you'll be like, you know what, Bob, you were great at the beginning, but you gotta go. Right. And sometimes when I'm brought into an organization, one of the things I'll say is, you know, I say to the president or CEO or whoever it is the board, and I'll say, here's the deal. If I come in and do this, you're going to, lo- how many got as top people? And they go 10 and they go, if you, you know, then this might be a 10,000 company, right? You got right. 10 huge people, right? I go out of 10, you're probably going to have four that are going to consider leaving when we're working together and two that likely will. And they go, where do you come up with those numbers? That's just the way it works out. Mm-hmm. why and they go why and i go oh by the way remember that those two who are walking away are top people so you're going to lose money yeah go, why would i pay you to come in and get rid of our good people because it doesn't matter and they go what do you mean because they are bringing down the resonance of everybody else everybody else when they you they go you're telling them a message and the message is we are absolutely committed to being in complete total integrity with our resonance, with our purpose. And if we're not, you're gone. Even if you're a million dollar person, you're gone. And everybody's game comes up. Everybody's game comes up at that point because Mm. now we're bonded. Now we're connected because what we want is a bonded environment, where people are bonded, emotionally connected. And that won't happen if they don't feel safe. And what is safety? Safety is actually vulnerability. When we can be vulnerable with someone else, we're safe. When we're safe, we'll be courageous, we'll be creative, we'll expand, and we can stay in alignment with what it is we're doing. But as soon as that other person is, ooh, there's something about Charlie that sort of gives me the willies, I'm now shutting down. Mm -hmm. So you have to do it with yourself, you have to do it with your team, and then they are challenged to go do it with their team and report back, detailed report back and what is the common thread of the group now, sometimes the common thread of the group is a is a offshoot of the original, which is fine, but it still ties to the original. Yes, yes, a thousand percent. Thank you. I am like, and actually, we're out of time, and we're both at the top of our hour. Um, and the great thing for me is, I know exactly what I'm going to do with my next hour because I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go get into the trench of of leadership and and working with my team and figure out what uh, excellence plus courage equals freedom means to them and how they're communicating that through the organization. Uh, Dom, I'm going to pause. Been... I'm going to pause okay. you. Sure. Don't do that. Oh, 
Good. Even better. They, you should totally send me a bill, by the way. I'm getting such great consulting here. Don't do that because you're already telling them. So ask them, okay. what is the meaning of this organization? What does it mean to you? Now, they may regurgitate those words to you. And then you can say, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. What does that mean to like you? you said, get, get them off book. So don't start by giving them the book. Right. Don't stop because the people will regurgitate because let me, I'm going to tell you what I tell every leader I work with. Who's your number one person? I say, okay, who's the number one person who answers to you? And I go, it's Fred. Okay. Fred. It's Kathy. Okay. Kathy. What's Kathy's number one job? And they go, oh, well, she does blah, 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 blah. blah. And I go, uh-huh. Is that a number one job? And they go, yep. And I go, no, it's not. You don't know Kathy. How do you know it's not? I know it's not. And they go, okay, what is Kathy's number one job? I said, that's simple, to keep you happy. You write that person's paycheck. Mm -hmm. if, they're not, if you're not happy with them, they're gone. Their number one job is to keep you happy. They may do all those things, but it's keeping you happy. So telling you you're a dick, telling you that you're out of integrity, telling you the, the truth would put their job in, in, into threat. They're not going to tell you that. That's giving them the book. Right. So you've got to make sure that you want. So you can't say, you know, what is blah, 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 because they'll just give you back what you want. But if you ask them a deeper question, they're no longer thinking about you as the boss. They're thinking about them as meaning. And that's why it's powerful. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have a. Uh... I have a, a duly noted assignment for the next hour. I'm, I'm really excited. I love work like this. And I'll just report as kind of a brief closing statement that, that looking at life this way, looking at business this way, and learning to be a, a, an emotionally intelligent slash curious person, and I think those are two sides of the same coin, mm -hmm. um, has been the greatest business skill that I've ever unlocked. So, and I know most of my audience is entrepreneurial or even practicing entrepreneurs. And I will just say all these, these soft, emo, you know, soft in quotes, emotional uh, skills, they are, I believe, the key to, to building great businesses and leading organizations and, and attracting great people and all that good stuff. Um, Duff, thank you so much, man. Thanks for being a guest. This is so much fun. It's been my absolute pleasure and honor, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. And I want to say to you, as you listen, as you watch, you know, don't hoard. We have a tendency to hoard. Don't hoard. You know, Jeff puts this together. I know because I have two shows. I know what it takes. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And it tends to be a bit sort of one way. Oftentimes, we don't know what you actually think. You know, there might be a bunch of comments, but that's a fraction of what we actually hear or what we know who we're reaching. So what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to challenge you to rate, review, and subscribe to this show, to Jeff's show. Okay, so I want you to do that. And I want you to share with someone else what you got out of this episode what you're going to do with it. And by the way, you can do that to me. You can write to dove at dovebaron.com. I know I'm insane. I give my own email address, dov at dovbaron.com. You can tell, write to me and tell me what you got out of this show and more importantly, what you're going to do with it. But write to Jeff, put comments up, review it, rate it, share it with others. You know, we live in an abundant universe 
And until you get to that place, you're always going to be struggling, right? You know, so by having that place and putting that out into the world, sharing with others, they're going, you know, there's lots for everybody. This is how we do it. Share it out, please. Well, Dove, thank you so much for saying that. We are, we are approaching 150,000 listeners for the show. I, I mean, obviously that's not per episode, but uh, so apologies in advance if, if your email inbox gets over, overwhelmed, but that's, that's, that's right. so generous of you. Um, and thank you for the, the plug. Um, the, how about, so you mentioned obviously Dove at DoveBaron.com. So DoveBaron.com, that's your personal website. How else can yeah. people uh, get more interaction with you? Thank you. You can find me also on Medium. It's the Curious Leader on Medium, which is where I post all my articles. You can find them there. You can find me by Googling me. You'll you'll get more material than you could possibly imagine. I also have a YouTube channel, Dove Baron Leadership. You'll find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those usual places. And of course, two podcasts, the Leadership and Loyalty podcast. You'll find that on iTunes. And Curiosity Bites, conversations with the world's most interesting people, astronauts, uh, neuroscientists, quantum physicists, um, all the weird and wonderful conversations mm -hmm. that I love to have, including the conversation with Tony Mack, who I talked about that we did the UN thing together. So pretty amazing combos. Wonderful, wonderful. I need to check out. I've seen Leadership and Loyalty. I haven't looked at Curiosity Bites, though. That sounds fascinating. It really um, is. And of course, One Red Thread. Great book. Yep, Good please check out One Red Thread. This, and I have I think 17 books or something like that. I actually wow. lost count. Um, yeah, you'll find I, all I, I've been struggling to get one book done for like three years now. So I'm <laughs> really impressed. <laughs> you'll find all those on Amazon and uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in, check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.